What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about finance. And you know we're talking about business. It's a Black Man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away. I refuse to be the man I was yesterday. Gotta put my best foot forward and elevate. And before we introduce today's guest, my brother Eric from Huntsville, Alabama, a.k.a. Hunts Vegas. What's going on, brother? Who do you have for our Black Men Sunday Spotlight? Hey, thanks a lot, Corey. Since all this month, we're talking about the um, achievements of women and everything that women have represented here on Black Men Sunday. So I thought I'd kind of do a little tidbit of, of something that uh, someone who I like to spotlight. Well, after me, say a mother and daughter who I like to spotlight. So, you know, what goes with the mother and daughter bonding activity? Shopping, maybe a beach day, or a hike, or brunch, or sometimes or some examples of just quality family time. Now, some might take it to the next level with a cute Photoshop, or photo shoot, or a trip aboard. Now, after winning a trip on Virgin Galactic's Galactic Zil 2 flight, Anastasia Mayers, an eight-year-old student at the University of Aberdeen, took her mother on an adventure the two would never forget, making boundaries in the process. Yes, these two people actually went up in space and actually did the zero gravity uh, experience and they're the first black females to ever do so. Now also aboard this um, flight, uh, there was a British Olympian, John Goodwin. Uh, now he's the first Olympian to actually go into space floating in low gravity and gazing around, the, you know, down at the earth from, a, from great heights. And even after the passengers returned back to earth an hour later, the memory of this trip will surely last forever for Anastasia and her mom. Certainly it's like giving the philosophy and physics a major new, unique perspective of her studies. That's my spotlight today, Corey, Miss Anastasia Mayers and her mom. Now back to you. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. I just got to make sure, you know, because we always clown you. We call you Huntsville, Hunts Vegas. I say when people think of A&M, the first A&M they think of is Florida A&M. You're talking about Alabama A&M. I'm like, I ain't never heard that before. Bro. I've been to L.A. Florida and all that. Either. I never heard Florida A&M either. I mean, okay. it's... Um... Well, I'm just saying, you know, make sure. Because, you know, A becomes before L any day. So, you know, we're the first. So I appreciate that spotlight. And thanks again. Thank you. Yes, sir. And, you know, before we introduce today's guest, we're going to have a quick little conversation. You know, it's August. August is Black Business Month. But with us, we're celebrating our sisters because a lot of times we'll have sisters on Black Men Sundays and they'll say, oh, well, the show is called Black Men Sundays. I didn't realize you wanted sisters on here. I'm like, really? Like, no, we want generational wealth. We want finance. We want business tips. We want to get better. We're trying to, like my man Kalali said on his show, we're trying to achieve economic freedom. This brother done traveled the world. So without further ado, let's introduce today's guest. We have Dr. Tonya Evans. This sister's not just a professor. She's a tenured professor, Penn State Dickinson Law School. This sister's the author of Digital Money Demystified. That book drops in October. I only know that because I went and tried to like get it on Amazon. It said it won't be shipped till like October 25th. I said, okay, so this book's not even out yet. This sister was also named to the 2021 Forbes 50 over 50 investment list. Yeah, she's an investor, an entrepreneur, 
this sister specialized in crypto. You know, a lot of brothers like, oh, crypto, I don't believe in crypto. It's, it's not regulated. This sister's about to educate us today. We're going to learn the asset class of crypto. This sister's also the founder of Advantage Evans Academy. She specializes in NFTs. We're going to talk about blockchains. Now, just FYI, we have a professor on, but it's the 400 level class. So for the brothers that need some quick education, we're going to have like lingo, like IP. It's called intellectual property. That's like intangible creative property, like copyright, trademark patents. So don't ask, what is that? I just told you what that is. We're going to talk about blockchain today. You know, when we think about blockchain, we had my man Ray Simmons on, son of Ron Simmons, gave us the whole game on blockchain. Blockchain is like the internet. It's like a Cuban link around my neck. Every time I add something to it, it adds to the blockchain. So my chain can hang as long as I want it. It's a peer-to-peer -peer network. Blockchain records transactions and balances, and it's a public ledger as well. So without further ado, we're going to introduce my sister today. I can't believe she's on the show. I'm excited. Dr. Tanya Evans, welcome to Black Men Sunday, sister. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Corey. Thank you so much. I love conversations like this, especially for our community. And um, I'm excited to share and, and to nation build with you. So, so let's get at it. When we talk about cryptocurrency, you know, I remember brothers were like, oh man, you got you to gotta get on that uh, Bitcoin. You know, you need to get on the Ethereum. You know, you need to get on that. But now it's so volatile. A lot of brothers are pulling their money away and they don't believe in it. So what did what do you believe? Like, what should we do now with cryptocurrency, with our black community that where brothers have spent their money, taken losses, took the money out? And they're saying, you know what, I'm not messing with it anymore. Um, it's a really important point because I think we have to, it's a shift in mindset to really think about the long-term strategy. There's a saying that you should be, I think it's from, I can't, I don't want to misquote it, but you should be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And so often we can be led into a situation, uh, particularly when you think about finances and when you think about investing without knowing a sufficient amount of information to make a good decision. And so often people are led by fear of missing out, FOMO. Um, a lot of folks come and have kind of like glassy eyes trying to find whatever that next hit is going to be as a short-term gain, but this is a long-term strategy. Um, when I think of Bitcoin came out in, in January, on January 3rd, actually of 2009, it has a tremendous history. You talked about blockchain on a previous um, podcast about how important it is and how secure it is. Oftentimes when, when we think about losses, when we think about hacks um, and scams, those aren't inherent to crypto assets. In fact, the number one asset or currency used in criminal activity is actually the almighty dollar. I don't know about you, but I'm not burning any dollars right now. Um, when I see the ebb and flow in my stock portfolio or my 403B or other retirement account, um, I don't trash stocks. I balance my portfolio so that when something's up, the other is down. And so a fundamental shift in just the reason that we're there, the reason that we're investing and how not to put all of our eggs in one basket is going to be really important. Definitely. And we're going to dive deeper. I'm just kind of you know, just I'm just starting to warm the bus up right now. So, you know, a lot of brothers, when they think of crypto, they think of fraud, unregulated, 
Why should we invest in crypto, especially with the climate now? It's um, it's a great opportunity because the prices are low. Um, I remember a time when I first started Advantage Evans Academy, my first um, students came in when the Bitcoin price, for example, was just under $10,000. And then it pumped. I think a lot of people came onto the scene when, when Bitcoin in particular, and it's kind of like a, a rising tide lifts all boats because there are a whole lot of alternative coins or altcoins, and we have another term for it as well. Um, but there are over 30,000 diff different crypto, uh, crypto coins and tokens. You can't possibly, nor should you invest in all of them, but you should be mindful about the ones that carry the industry, Bitcoin, ETH. Those are some of those. Um, even my students who started at 10 and when the price pumped up to 67 and then pulled back for a number of reasons, not many of them actually had to do with the failure of crypto. There was a little thing called the pandemic. There were other things, wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of other things going on. So there were a lot of macroeconomic pressures on all assets and crypto was not impervious to that. So the time of buying low and selling high is when there's a pullback and an opportunity to buy. Definitely. And at what point in your career, you know, did you realize, you know, I can not only invest in this, but I can study this. And I can teach this. Like, at what point did you really believe in the crypto? It's a great question because I'm probably one of the least likely people to be involved in the space. As a lawyer, I'm always trained. I have always been trained and practiced on problem solving, identifying everything that could possibly go wrong. And when I first heard about some of my friends in 2016, 2017 in particular, it was like the proliferation of a whole bunch of tokens in the Ethereum ecosystem. And everybody was trying to fundraise off of a project. The project wasn't built, but they were fundraising, issuing their own token. You and I could make a token with about, I don't know, seven lines of code in about 10 minutes. That's why there's so many of them. Um, and I just heard about this magic internet money that I wanted nothing to do with. I didn't know where it was. <laughs> I didn't know who created it. I didn't see any problem with the dollar. And so I had, but I felt a real responsibility as a professor in IP, in technology, in innovation, to make sure that the next wave of lawyers could actually have a conversation with folks who are building in this space. So my entry point was really, I don't know about, at the time, I didn't, I wasn't too interested in crypto, but I was interested in the underlying technology. It's all software based. It's open software protocols most times. And folks were starting to ask me questions about how to build in the Ethereum ecosystem, how to create decentralized applications, decentralized autonomous organizations, what it meant legally and how you could monetize on top of an open source protocol. So it was my expertise in intellectual property that caused me to take a deep dive. And then I quickly realized you can't understand fundamentally um, distributed means of managing transactions and balances unless you understand the reason that crypto came on the scene anyway. And that's my entry point into crypto. Definitely. And, you know, one thing I didn't mention is that, you know, uh, you own rental properties, mm -hmm. you've owned rental properties and you've lived in them as well. So mm -hmm. that's why I want to get to a lot of our listeners love to hear some facts some tips about property ownership. You know, you 
you're you own a rental property in Philadelphia. You know, mm -hmm. Philadelphia is not cheap these days. So what tips can you give brothers and sisters who are listening to this? We're going to get back to the crypto in a minute. I just mm -hmm. want to slide this in. You know, I'm a news guy. I like to slide it in real quick. What advice would you give for brothers and sisters who may have some money? The credit's not great. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 8.5%. You paying in where I'm at, where I am in Orlando, you're paying 600,000 for barely 2,000 square feet. Right. So for brothers and sisters who want to get in real estate, but they're saying, you know, the rates are too high, the prices are too high. At least in the 90s, the rates were high, but the prices were low. Right. What advice would you give for brothers and sisters who want to become entrepreneurs, but they want to own some real estate because, you know, real estate's the number one asset class. It's important for people to realize that. And I'm definitely, I'm probably a little overweight in, in crypto just because of, you know, how I balance out my own portfolio. And actually my first real uh, venture into wealth, it wasn't uh, real estate, although I believe very strongly in it because it's one of the few things where we're not creating anymore. Unless I guess there's some type of volcano that creates new last uh, land mass, we have the land that we have, and so it makes it intrinsically finite. It's uh, and historically it has always performed well over time. Um, and but my first entry point into true wealth, where I paid off all of my debts, all of my parents' debts, bought things that uh, 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 properties that I own outright that came from crypto, and a lot of that had to do with preparation. That's the reason that I mention it, in challenging market cycles is the time to prepare, not to quit, pick up your ball and go home, but to really strategize, uh, reimagine what your portfolio looks like. Start, if your credit's not right, getting your credit in a position that you're using other people's money to actually um, access the real estate market. Don't always think that I have to have all of the money most people do not have all of the money when they go into the real estate market, but leveraging debt, um, cleaning up your credit, the things that will put you in excellent positions to acquire that first thing, usually in down cycles when it may not be advantageous, not necessarily down cycle, but when you have high interest rates and the high cost of property, it may be the time to lean into education. Um, again, this is a long game across assets, asset classes. So if you're going to start saving a little more money, being a little more liquid so that you can move for opportunities uh, more quickly when they present themselves and being in a position so that you stay ready so you don't have to get ready when the next um, opportunity um, um, presents itself. I think also of duplexes as a great way to start. You may think and just more creatively about what are the opportunities? It may be Airbnb. I'm not a, I'm not in Airbnbs, but I've seen some other people win in that space. Get clear about what your long-term vision is and make sure your family is on board. And again, get your assets and your dollars and your crypto in row so that you can take advantage of opportunities when the market ripens. And you know, one thing that I see is really heating up, aside from bonds, because mm. bonds are back. I hear bonds are back. But one thing that's really heating up is NFTs non-fungible tokens fungible not fundable fungible with a g like a fungus but not that we're talking about the tokens here so one thing that i want to talk about is you know i i see rappers i see different artists different creatives mm -hmm. dropping nfts this is a one of one this is a one of 20 this is like a one of 250 and you know for a brother like me you know i'm a black man i 
learn how to sell shoes from 2009 to now. So I've got shoes worth three, four, five thousand dollars that put me in the house that I'm living in that I own now. You know, I had to cut grass today for the first time. Oh, it's a lot of work. I'm kind of tired right now. <laughs> but, you know, but getting back to what we're talking about, when we talk about NFTs is very popular for the black community. We're a show about generational wealth. Can NFTs provide generational wealth for our community? It's interesting to think about NFTs or non-fungible tokens, and hopefully people can appreciate the value of just the NFT asset class. And I also want to clarify something in that space too, um, but just the value of something that intri intrinsically is unique. Um, and I, the way that I often describe what a non-fungible token is, because it actually, you should start thinking of it as, as two assets. The token itself is an asset, but it is inextricably linked through its metadata to something else. Um, it could be a digital project product or a service. It could be um, an IRL or in real life experience. Uh, platforms like Ticketmaster and others have been experimenting with um, issuing tickets as non-fungible tokens because they can't be duplicated. And so drastically you know, reducing um, fraud in that market, for example. We have heard about it and we think about it from an artist's point of view, but there's so many really interesting uses above and beyond um, collectibles, which I love, art, which I love. I actually own quite a bit of, of uh, NFT art um, as well. I like to see things. I have a, you know, on a pseudonymous basis, so I won't share that actual uh, handle, but I like to start people's uh, auction their to get their first, particularly Black um, artists, so that they get their first win, they get their first sell, their first hit. Um, which is really exciting. Can you make money in that space? Sure, it's an asset like any other thing. But keep in mind, the NFT is more like um, a deed. It's a deed. It's like a deed to a home. The deed is not the home, but it is my ability to um, assert control, uh, my ability to sell it, to license it, uh, whatever the it is. So we have to keep in mind that there are actually two assets at least that are, are linked. And there are opportunities, even in a down market, to um, not only own either as a collector because you just intrinsically love something or some experience, or if you're just an investor, right? You come in, you find valuable projects, particularly in a down market like now, you can get some of those higher priced items and then kind of wait. You're waiting to, to you know buy low and sell high again. So it's not the only thing, but it is an additional type of crypto asset. So I want us to also think more broadly about cryptocurrencies because that's a bit of a misnomer. You certainly can use cryptographically secured assets as a currency, but they are taxed as a capital asset. So this is another entry point for Black uh, the Black community to acquire the type of asset. Listen, I want my assets working harder than me. I am, you know, time is not money to me. Time is more valuable than money because I can always invest in something, in education, in assets that earn. They do not come back void. So we can capture that. So we have to think more broadly, not just to spend as a consumer, but also we amass the type of wealth that actually at a lower price bracket actually um, creates a return on investment. And you're the author of Digital Money Demystified. It's coming out this October. I only know that because like I said, I tried to go on 
Amazon and said, oh, it, it won't even be shipped to you till like October 24th. I was like, wow. So let's talk about your book a little bit. You know, I, I know we're a little early, but um, from what I saw, your book's about misinformation of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. So before we jump all the way into the blockchain, because we're about to dive all the way in with that, just talk about the impetus of your book. So I was really, you know, I get so many questions both at, through my um, crypto blockchain and law uh, courses, but also certainly through Advantage Evans, through my podcast, um, Tech Intersect, and just educating people, family and friends. Uh, Ray, I know that you uh, get these questions as well. Everybody has a question. And there are these like frequently asked questions that often have their origins in misinformation or disinformation. If it's on the disinformation tip, we call that FUD or fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I just found myself answering these questions over and over again or having to get through this laundry list of five or 10 um, misconceptions about crypto to even move people to the possibility of learning more because they had a million and one things. A lot of it is ripped from the headlines, which um, constantly annoy me because I find some uh, reporters and journalists in the space, if they are not you know, conversant in crypto, it just is, it's wild. It's wild. It's just, it's too much. So I wanted to create an opportunity at a low cost way for people to at least figure out what are the top myths. Sometimes every, sometimes myths have an, uh, a kernel of truth or even more than a kernel of truth. So to really separate fact from fiction and to empower people with the information they need in order to become a prudent crypto investor. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? Prudent and crypto. If you put those two together, most people um, find that curious, but you can be a prudent crypto investor. You cannot and should not learn all of the things. If you're not comfortable looking under the hood of your car, don't do it. But do know that your car gets you from A to B. That's what we need to understand about crypto. So dealing with myths like the volatility of crypto. Crypto is volatile, but we have to right-size that conversation. Or that it's only for criminals or just one big scam or bad for the environment. Or as you mentioned earlier, um, wholly unregulated in just the wild, wild west. There's some there's some kernels of truth, but again, right-sizing the information so that people feel uh, empowered, particularly in communities that have been systemically marginalized, that really can take advantage of a system that uh, doesn't have the same gatekeepers that would have you fail. So we got to get this so that we can continue on like a, a first mover advantage that really empowers our community. So that was the impetus for the book and to really um, just in plain, simple, well-researched, I don't have a dog in the fight, but this is what you need to know to make more informed decisions. So that's where it came from. Definitely. Don't get mad at me, but you know, I feel like as black people, we're really just getting comfortable putting our money in the bank account. I remember I used to have an aunt, uncle, well, I'm mm -hmm. not going to say uncle, but I like great uncle, aunt, you know, they pass away and they'd be like, nah, she got like a hundred grand in the sofa. She got it in the attic. Like I'm telling you, the bread is in there. You just got to find it. Somebody finds it. It's like a, you know, like a pinata going crazy. Like, a, oh, yeah. so, but you know, when we think about black people, right, we trying to establish generational wealth i remember 2020 when we were talking about crypto my brother was like yo man the staples center is about to be crypto.com you need to buy some of that you need to get some of that dogecoin 
I think a couple of my homeboys in the hood, they were talking about getting uh, the Shiba coin. I bought all that. I bought all that. Then when I spoke to my uh, financial advisor, he was like, you know, you you tripping, man. You, you're like 70% coins, but you only have 30% traditional stocks. You need to flip that because the volatility of uh of the coins of cryptocurrency and you know when we talk about uh i kind of want to transition before you answer that kind of it's kind of like a two-part question because i kind of want to take it back a little bit because in our communities we pay rent you know we buy the chinese food we get whatever is on our block but then we come back home when it's time to vote we're not really Mm. we're not really like involved we're not really involved in the land development. We're not involved in any of that. So I'll I'll kind of want to transition to the blockchain technology. And again, like y'all, like I'm telling y'all, if y'all don't know what blockchain is, it's basically a technology like a chain around your neck, but it records transaction imbalances. It's peer-to-peer. It's a public ledger. So it kind of is defrauded, if you will. Now, if I'm wrong, you can clean me up a little because I do have a professor on here today and I want to make sure that I'm on point as well and that's how that's what I believe in so if I'm wrong but like but again going back to my question when we're talking about the black community I feel like the blockchain technology can really get black people involved in the communities I um let me get and I'll take even even step even more basic to talk about I, I often compare blockchains distributed technology as as simple as a group chat like you have 10 people in that group chat or that family chat and as i often can be overwhelmed by mine i delete it from my phone but if as long as the that text sh- stream of information is on at least one of those nine other phones that information and that conversation persists like that's as much as you need to know unless you have a tech technology or finance background in the beginning, although I was wildly fascinated, like the tech got me and I'm a non-technologist. I have an appointment now and a fancy appointment at Penn State, but I'm not a, I don't have a background in computer science, but I was fascinated by it. If you're not, I don't want that to be an artificial barrier to you getting this right. Because to your point, Corey, traditional investments are not enough. Traditional investments are not enough. And additionally, to your point, we're not even participating at the same rate as our white counterparts. Um, REL Investments and Schwab do a Black investor survey every year in 2022. And I talk some about this in the book, but I have um, I've done a couple of different episodes on the podcast about this, too, to talk about their statistics um, that compare Black largely stock, but also some real estate investment to the Black investor. Um, There are a lot of reasons that we aren't on parity with that, that we can continue to take a deep dive on. But the fact of the matter is, while the uh, distance between white and Black investors have changed, it's not because we've done more, it's that they started to do less. Um, For the first time in 2022, um, the Ariel Schwab report reported on black the Black crypto investor. A lot of great statistics that we're actually overweight um, in, we are over-indexing, I should say, in crypto, because we found out a very interesting thing. There is no barrier to entry other than our own information and our own education about it. 
There's nobody who's going to redline you out of it. Nobody is checking for your credit score. They're not, um, you know, using all of the other deeply systemically entrenched barriers to our participation in generational wealth. What does that look like? If you can't get um, a, a long-term sustainable career, not just a job that also offers you know, your retirement benefits and things like that, which is often what people might access and then pass on or uh, non-probate assets like insurance, or you're not amassing um, real real estate, which is really, really important. If you're just um, investing in education, and this I'll talk as a, as a Gen Xer, and education was always important. This was the This was the mantra, education, nobody can take that away from you good government job or the equivalent thereof. Um, you're going to get some insurance, try your best to buy a home, get a, a burial plot, and you, you've you made it. That's not enough. There's a big difference that we have to understand between being a high net, uh, a high income individual. You can make six figures for your whole life. It's taxed at a higher rate than capital assets are. You have to show up to get it, which means you're still trading your time for money. And time is finite, right? So that's why wealthy people don't want an income. They're like, pay me nothing, but I'm going to own this real estate. I'm going to own these other capital assets. I'm going to invest in stocks. I'm investing in things that I can create more wealth or that are bringing back a return on income that my income alone could never, never compete with. Traditional investments are no longer enough. We've got to get into this game and not learn and then earn we've got to figure out how to earn while we learn well I'm, I'm loving this conversation thanks for coming on black men sundays and i want to jump a little deeper into blockchain you know uh blockchain and real estate you know our show is about generational wealth so as black people can the blockchain and real estate create generational wealth for our brothers and sisters you know i want people to think about this the short answer is yes but not only because Oh, there's so much that I want to say about this. Let me start here first. Let me start here first. Okay. Um, we're thinking about and have an investor mindset from purchasing different types of crypto assets. I also want us to think as the entrepreneur as well, what are the opportunities to build as a first mover advantage in finding out novel uses of this technology to build something? to build something that is necessary in real estate. Maybe you don't own all of the real estate in the world, but maybe you provide services to the real estate um, industry. Uh, maybe you are in working with titles and assurance or all the other things that go to um, facilitating the transfer of real estate, which is a part of wealth transfer. So it's a both, both and point of view of being both entrepreneur and investor because those are all the things that continue to return. And most people aren't doing this because they don't, they aren't having the conversations that you and I are having right now. They are, you know, head down, doing the best that they can. So this is no judgment on anyone, but we really do have to broaden our perspective about what are the opportunities. So you ask about the real estate um, industry and its relationship to blockchain technology. There's some really interesting projects. Now, a lot of this is at the government level, but you really can be the smartest person in the room if you at least understand, even at a basic level, the technology and how it is has the potential to disrupt so many industries, not the least of which is real estate. 
real estate tends to be rather illiquid at times. It can be a very tight market where it makes it, uh, you know, a buyer's market or it could be a little looser seller's market. It can be very illiquid, meaning you have to go through a lot of steps to go from I own this piece of property to I sold this in exchange for dollars or whatever. The beauty about blockchain technology is what we, another area called the tokenization of, you know, physical assets. Some people say real world assets, like crypto is the real world for me. So I, I, I rail against that description, but let's go with the real world or physical assets. When you can tokenize it, it opens up just a whole range of possible buyers and sellers that aren't, that don't have to be located where you are. The physical property is going to be where it is, but it opens up your ability to sell to people beyond your borders, right? So making it easier to facilitate those transactions and to move them more quickly, that removes the friction between I have an asset and I sold an asset. So that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about real estate projects. There are other areas where um, governments, for example, are starting to use blockchain for public records including deeds and titles and liens and all of that so that you can access that information. That would also include birth and death records. I don't know if you've ever had, now this is in the um, in the academia setting, but if you've ever had to go back to get a transcript, for example, it's like damn near impossible, right? The older that you get and to be able to remove the friction and the expense of doing those things uh, certainly in academia, but back to real estate, that's a really exciting use of this technology that is in a direct connection to the disruption of finance, but it has the same impact because there's just too many intermediaries standing between me and my money. <laughs> and so I'm trying to remove as many of those as possible so that um, I can deal on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, not just to send you some crypto, but also send you some land or some property. Definitely. I'm going to ask you this loud. Like I said, I've been Iverson in the whole time. I don't pass too well. You know, I'm, I'm going to shoot it all dribble. So my and last question. Lead, though, you have me at AI. But there go you go. And AI from Virginia, me and my man Kalali, that's where we went to high school, same school as AI. So we all connected. My last question before I open it up to the brothers in the audience, um, intellectual property, IP. You know, a lot of brothers, when they talk about IP, you know, like a lot of engineers, I'm like, no, not that IP. We're talking about intellectual property, like intangible creative property, like copyright, trademarks. We just had a sister last week talked about the importance of patents. So, but when we talk about like intellectual property, is my NFT an intellectual property? The definition of intellectual property is... Um... It is a non-tangible personal property, okay? So anything that is not tangible can function in that way, but it has to also fit into a particular bucket. Is it um, artistic or literary expression fixed in a tangible form? That would be copyright. Is it something that's novel and inventive? That would be a patent. Is it something that is used in the sale of goods or services that could be trademark or trade dress, right? So it's probably, and you can have an NFT, the separate token that is connected to a creative asset. That asset would be protected by copyright, but there could be other implications as well. So when you think about um, intangible personal property, digital assets would fall into that. But if you have an NFT, it might serve two purposes, both the tech, uh, the token itself, but also the underlying asset that it's connected to. 
And the reason why I ask that is, you know, I, I work in news. I've covered a lot of Cat 5 hurricanes. So if I have like some old shoes that's been through this catastrophic hurricane and I make that intellectual property, I sell it as an NFT, that's an intangible creative, right? Or am I wrong? Got you, got you. I love that uh, example. And I've seen a lot of old shoes. <laughs> so, and people are selling things and, and making a lot of money. So people laugh. Uh, I heard Ray talking about Crypto Kitties. I wrote a, an article back in, in 2018 called Crypto Kitties, Cryptography and Copyright. I was I was there with you. So people were making fun of me too, but they're not laughing so much now. Um, I think I was ahead of my time. But yes, you absolutely, I see this with big brands. So let's take a, les a lesson from big brands. It makes me think obviously of NBA Top Shots, for example. Um, and as an intellectual property lawyer, I have advised companies big and small about how to inject new life into a dusty old portfolio. So that absolutely can work for the individual as well. So that you start to think of the monetization of your existing assets and get creative about what those assets are. If you would look around your room and say, I'm going to have some type of, of um, you know, front yard sale, what could you do from your digital assets as well? Um, how can you take those digital assets and connect them with non-fungible tokens and give new life from the comfort of your home or the south of France, however you roll? Yeah, I like the comfort of my home, you know, because I own <laughs> it and I only spend like $12,000 in sneakers to own a home five years ago at like 3.25%. So eat that 8.5. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and I got like 300 in equity. But anyway, all right, fellas, the stage is open. My man, Kalal, you have anything? Yeah, I got several questions. I We actually, I, we probably need another couple hours, but we ain't got another couple hours. So I'm going to just ask a few questions. Oh, and I got your interest rate beat, Corey. So just so you know, <laughs> all my all my three acres over here. So just so you know. <laughs> just thanks for coming on the show. You've already shared with us a wealth of knowledge. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. Um, you know, you could be a lot of different places, as Corey often says, but you're here with us. So we definitely appreciate it. Um, just the wealth of knowledge that's going on. Um, the first question I want to ask you is, um, you had mentioned that people, I guess, don't understand why crypto came on the scene in the first place. So why would you say that crypto came on the scene in the first place? It's interesting, the origin story of Bitcoin, because there are a lot of people working on some type of peer-to-peer -peer enabled value sharing using the same peer-to-peer -peer technology people used for file sharing. I'm um, For those who can't see me, I'm using air quotes because I'm an IP attorney. So it's kind of like, you know, file theft, but that's the story for another day. But that idea of leveraging like the Napster, Grokster mentality, but not just doing it for a media file, but also for um, value, right? On a one-on-one -on -one basis where you don't have to deal with a bank or a government it that that money wasn't dependent upon a government to issue it and therefore control it think of our relationship with this country think of the relationship we talked about banking earlier it makes me think of the freedman's bank the freedman's bank was created right after the uh, purported release of the enslaved so that people could go out and actually have a bank account and no longer be property but actually and, and hold property. Some would come uh, many years later, but that was intellectually the setup, right? If we go back and look at the Freedmen's Bank that was actually run by this government through the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, 
And there were some trustees who were involved and actually started stealing from the Freedmen's Bank, making speculative loans. And when those didn't pan out, it was the Freedmen's Bank that ended up failing as an albatross around Frederick Douglass's neck. He described that time of being married to a corpse. And I think of oftentimes Black people are hired when things are really going left. And then if it fails, it's our fault. And if it doesn't, we don't seem to get the benefit of like, wow, you really turned this Titanic around. That is our relationship to banking in this country. And it certainly goes back further than that, but that's like a glaring example um, of how we have to start to change our mindset about our relationship with where we hold, how we hold under what circumstances. That takes me to the origins of Bitcoin. And I, I say that because the origins of Bitcoin and digital assets came up out of the time of the banking and financial crisis of 2008. People were working on it, so it probably was going to happen anyway. But 2009, it was still, everything had gone left. We realized that our the intermediaries we were supposed to trust in the Lehman Brothers of the world all failed. And then the, the, the government that needs the bank in order to support and fund war has to prop it up. We need something outside of that system to protect us in good times and bad. And so the origin of Bitcoin always works better in times of crisis. People are running away from it. Why, where are we running to? Bitcoin and some of the crypto assets that came after, they were literally built for this. So it doesn't matter where we are and under what circumstances. I actually think, and I wrote this um, Medium article that compared Kwanzaa principles to cypherpunk principles. And people are like, that doesn't make any sense. It actually makes a lot of sense because you have cypherpunks who really were, you know, we can credit with creating the first Bitcoin, the ultimate OG in the space, obviously Satoshi. Um, but the idea that you can operate outside of a system that you no longer trust as a matter of self-determination, cooperative work and economics, like the overlay is really, really deep. So I would argue that it actually is built for us too, for the same reasons, but with a different history. But yeah, that's very interesting. And I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. And it's rooted in, it is rooted in, you know, our history kind of as, you know, uh, Black people in our experience in this, in this country. Um, what I would say to that, though, is that the quality of dollars is different from from crypto, not only because it's uh uh, controlled by the U.S. government, but it's also backed or guaranteed mm -hmm. uh, by the U.S. government. So that's why people view the dollar um, as a safe investment. Um, why should I think of crypto as a safe investment on that same level? Because I hear you talking about dollars and I hear you talking about crypto um, kind of in the same vein. Mm -hmm. um, so why should I think of, of crypto as a safe investment in that way, given that it's not backed uh, by any government? It's not guaranteed by any government. It's simply, so I, I know that a dollar today is going to be a dollar tomorrow, more or less. I don't know that necessarily about crypto. So why would I why would I think of crypto as a safe investment? Well, uh, I think of it from a number of ways, but the dollar being backed by the full faith and credit of a government that is screeching toward um, crisis again at an impasse to pass the debt ceiling. We're coming up on another crisis. Um, recently, I think three weeks ago, the dollar, the U.S. Uh, credit rating was downgraded for the second time in history. The U.S. dollar is currently the global reserve 
but there are nations all around the world now starting to deleverage themselves and move more of those for the first time in I can't even remember saying this is not the safest bet that we thought our dollar because it's no longer backed with gold and we have the full faith and credit of a tumultuous government in crisis and will it fail tomorrow no but will we have this same conversation five ten years from now when we think of all great nations having a rise and a fall and what the evidence of the writing on the wall a decade from now, we have to pay attention to. We have to leverage our bets that what we thought was a stable government that would never fail, just had four banks this year go into receivership. And they tell us nothing to see here, keep buying, keep consuming, nothing to see here. Credit rating downgrade, nothing to see here. I got both eyes open and a third because to rely exclusively on something that is so opaque where they have all of the information and we have none is not a position that black people need to be in, in this moment in time. And so the point is extremely well made that we still have, we have the almighty dollar, we have the best passport and the strongest money today. But as I said earlier, we're also playing the long game. And that means we have to get very, very clear to hedge our bets, not when we're, um, when we're balancing a portfolio, we also need to provide ourselves freedom and opportunity under any economic and political climate, especially what's going on in the country today. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. So, so um, I hear you imploring us to think long term, to have a long term view, um, you know, of our investment portfolios. So, um, I guess the question I want to ask you is, how long term? Like, what what is your expect expectation? on when you think crypto will become a more, I guess, I don't want to, you know, because I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, cast aspersions, but how long, how long term, what is your expectation on when crypto will become like a more stable investment tool than it currently is? Because people talk about the volatility of crypto. Um, do you have an expectation on when it might be a more stable investment tool? Now, I'm I'm taking into consideration what you said about first mover advantage, things like that. Like you have to be able to accept a bit of risk to be a first mover. You can't, you, you're not going to make a bunch of money first moving mm -hmm. to an already stable market. But I'm just wondering if you have any estimate, estimation on when crypto might become a more stable uh, investment. It's, it's interesting because some part of the book I had to spend time learning about how markets mature. Because I really wasn't clear on, and I had the same, I had the exact same question. It's like, all right, long-term means retire well, but still, what does that mean? My Nana lived to be 103, right? So like, <laughs> how long is long, right? <laughs> so I have my two-year, my five-year, do I need assets today? Do I want them later? So, and that's a, it's a moving target that's difficult to answer at a very specific level because so many other things impact it. But let's um, say at a high level, when I think of, like a three to five year trajectory when the stability, um, the confidence in the industry will come from settling some regulatory issues. It's not true to say there is no regulation, but it is accurate to say that the regulatory uncertainty in the United States because of the Securities and Exchange Commission kind of 
you know, suing some of our best actors rather than going back to the table and actually issuing rules and regulations or for us to press the legislative body that actually creates agencies? Like this really falls in the lap of Congress. Do I expect them to do anything in a, a presidential cycle? Right. So <laughs> we have to... We have to right size. Just for, just for visual verification right. for the people who's just listening to audio, I was shaking my head. No. Okay, right. <laughs> that was a pause. And then I had my head to the side. So you can, we are in communion and conversation here. Um, so to your question, and, and I'm trying to find my way to it, I expect that in the next three to five years in particular, but I don't think it will take that long. We just saw PayPal, for example, issue its own version of a stable coin. PYUSD. We have um, Circle out there with USDC. Um, people don't, um, companies now realize that they have a customer service issue and they don't want to lose us off of their platforms. And so they're going to find a way legally as best as they can in the United States to move forward. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is moving forward. So we also have to think of being global citizens, not just citizens in the United States. I get you. I get you. It's a, it's a tough question. I know it's a tough, tough. question. To ask. It's tough. Like when will everything settle down? Yeah. It's tough yeah. too, because I feel like crypto is so democratizing. Little D, you know, I'm not here to like go back and forth about politics, right. but as, you know, a liberal black woman, I'm disappointed in the current administration for not taking a more of a leadership role in how, there are empower, empowering opportunities in the space. And it's really, really fascinating. I testified before Congress um, back in, in March, and I could share with you and your listeners the written testimony I did. You can catch that on YouTube as well. Um, I was before the, <laughs> hmm, say it again. I said, I'm definitely gonna go look at that. <laughs> Please, yes, I was holding their feet to the fire about, um, and it was before the House Financial Services Subcommittee on um, digital assets, financial technology, and inclusion. I was annoyed that I was the only person talking about inclusion, but that's fine, uh, because it was an important opportunity that I felt was lost on the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, Richie Torres is on that. He is definitely a huge proponent of crypto, but his voice is in the minority, and that's frustrating. So it will require Congress to sit down, pass on a bipartisan basis, the type of legislation that supports um, safety uh, or regulatory certainty because the investment is there. There's some trailblazers here now in the States. There are a lot of people on the sidelines waiting. So that's the type of uncertainty that needs to be clarified. And then we're on, but, but people are waiting. Companies are waiting to make sure they're not going to be sued by the SEC while we're figuring this out. Just really quickly, like uh, what do you, so what do you prefer as a long-term investment, crypto or real estate? I'm rolling with Bitcoin. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, I, know, I, I don't want, right. I don't want Corey to be mad at me. I hear Told you. me that real estate is important. I buy okay. Bitcoin every single day. I'm a dollar, I'm a, a Satoshi cost average person. I don't buy real estate every day. If okay. I could do both and I'm rocking with both of them. If I had to choose one today. Yeah, you either or. I didn't get you both. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm rocking with BTC then. That's my final wow. answer. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's interesting. I think you might be the first one we've had on the show that would go in that direction. All right. They didn't oh. want to disappoint Corey, but I'm, you know, I'm just trying to keep it real. <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, full transparency, like 
like like crypto is a little is a little risky for me, but I have looked into it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do believe that the blockchain technology that underlies it is incredibly powerful. It is incredibly powerful. I, I think I actually am on the other side. So, you, so whereas I understand for investment purposes, you might say, well, you don't need to understand how blockchain works. For me, I'm like, I think people should probably look into how blockchain works. Mm -hmm. um, do you know of any way to actually invest in blockchain as a technology? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there, I would look into some of the really impressive projects that are building in the space and consider if you don't want full exposure in the crypto market, figure out the builders in the space. If you're going to pick up, you know, we have Coinbase went public, for example, you have other companies that are building with a strong reputation. Like my, my litmus test for reputation is, has this company and or its team survived two bear markets in crypto? If they have, and they're still here, then I want to learn more about them. So many, they're here today, gone tomorrow. No, thank you. Even one bear market. Talk to me when you survive two like me, and then we can see, right? That starts to give me more confidence in the project. These are all startups. 70% of businesses fail, having nothing to do with the technology, right? In two to five years, many just businesses across the board. Why should this be any different? Or it makes me think of the, the dot-com boom and bust. I think this will probably track that, but just a, a shorter um, lead time. So you had thousands of dot-coms, then it coalesced around a few. Now we're concerned about the few that it coalesced around. We basically only have five from the 5,000. That often happens when markets mature over time, kind of going back to the, the earlier question you asked as well. Um, but I think there are great opportunities to invest in what one of my friends calls just invest in the axes and eggs. Like, I don't know about this gold, but people who are going out to find the gold need tents. <laughs> they need axes. They need picks. They need eggs. They need a horse. Like I'll rock with that and then I'll see. So that's a great way to participate. Find out what the industry needs and those who are um, providing it and then invest in those. It's a black man Sunday. Time to put all childish things away.